Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Indie Football Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by the sports editor of The Independent, Ben Burrows, and football reporter Jack Rathborn. And this week, we are going to be talking about a few different clubs from outside the Premier League's established Big Six. So we're doing this podcast because in the wake of our very long and miserable Is Football Dead podcast, uh, we had a few comments from people asking why we generally always focus our attention on the Big Six when we spend all of our time moaning about them. And we thought that's a reasonably uh, fair point. We discussed why that is a little bit on the last episode. And so this week, we wanted to talk about four clubs having particularly newsworthy seasons and and why that is so let's start with a club that are having an absolutely fantastic season um i'm sure we've only discussed them briefly on the podcast before that is sheffield united they were promoted in the summer and currently sit level on points with tottenham and one point behind a champions league place ben have you been surprised with how well they have played this season i think anyone who watched them in the championship um last year you, you won't necessarily be surprised because they're a quality team and above all it's an incredibly well coached side um, but clearly um, the impact they've had and um, how high they are in the table has been remarkable. They've shown no fear whatsoever, regardless of who they've played. Um, they possibly ran Liverpool as close as anybody has, um, and they're an excellent side to watch. They play that in- innovative system, the three-five-two with overlapping centre-backs, which has been talked about to death, but it's, it's to me anyway, it's sort of a, it shows just how important properly good coaching is and Wilder clearly is a very a very astute football brain um, and he's got his team playing some really really intelligent interesting football. Why is it that uh, Chris Wilder hasn't received more praise than he has obviously he took over Sheffield United they're in League One he's obviously in two promotions they're having this incredible season is it his age is it his appearance is it the tactics that he utilizes Jack why do you think he's not kind of He's not been raved about like like other managers in the league. I think there's an element of um, a lack of PR from Wilder himself. He um, maybe does need to sort of pat himself on the back a bit more, make bigger claims in the media, work the media better. I think certainly there are doubts over his uh, the way he can he can take this side to the next level as well. You, you look at the schedule, um, whether he can implement this this system or this squad which is relatively small compared to his rivals um, over a, a much busier schedule next season particularly if they get into Europe I think that's a, a slight question mark also while this is a, a mightily impressive um, Sheffield United side I think it, it certainly is a, a collective and lacks maybe maybe several like star standout standout players with excellent talent and I think he needs to maybe prove himself uh, managing egos managing um, sort of big time um, players with with huge reputations and I think Sheffield United the the more they build they will have to acquire those players and it will be interesting to see how Wilder manages that and maintains the harmony in the group as well I think that's a little bit harsh on Wilder I mean surely you can make the case that 
yes, you know, he doesn't sort of play with the media, he doesn't flirt with the media, but Sheffield United have been flying under the radar. There's, there's seemingly there's no pressure on them. Do you mean more that the pressure is going to grow if they do end up in the Champions League or find themselves playing in Europe? Yeah, I just think um, certainly it's a, it's a league where when you don't know what's coming, it's it's much more difficult. Next season, everybody will know what to expect from Sheffield United and it just becomes more difficult to, to vary your, your, your tactics to have that plan B. Mm. In that sense, yes. And then also with Wilder, I don't think, I think he particularly craves the attention and the, uh, the praise. I think he's very content in how how things are going and why wouldn't you be I just think certainly with the signings of say Sander Berg coming in very talented player but also crucially young and yet to prove himself um, in, in a big league that's going to be much more e- easier to uh, to maintain the harmony in the squad rather than bring in sort of uh, established internationals and maybe that's how he he gradually builds he brings in um, a bit more of an eclectic mix um, um, utilising the uh, the vast sums of money that are going to come with um, maintaining top flight status for the next few years. Ben, do you think it's going to going to fizzle out um, over the course of the end of the season? I mean, when you actually look at their fixtures, they've not got a terrible end. They they visit United in March. That's probably the most difficult away match they've got left. Uh, but then they host Tottenham, Wolves, and Chelsea, and there's some some winnable fixtures in there. Can they can they keep on rising? I think you'd be harsh to say at any point that you, to doubt them now. I think they've yeah. shown us enough times that there's been sort of the period over Christmas where you'd say that their smaller squad would finally come back to haunt them a little bit. They got through that fine. They've had obviously little wobbles as they've gone, but it's what Wilde has done is he really has created something that's bigger than the sum of its parts, which is obviously exactly the dictionary definition of what a coach should be doing. He's getting more out of the players than their individual abilities. Um, I think it's interesting what Jack mentioned that he does sort of seem to be embracing and hit and the and the club around him embracing that sort of phase two. So phase one was clearly do what a lot of championship clubs do when they come up, which is buy the best players in the championship to mean that worst case scenario you go down and you're a much better side in the second tier than you were before. Phase two is now attracting different players and maybe buying that slightly more uh, higher quality individual. Sanderberg's a really good example, I think, and they did a, they did a couple of interesting deals at the end of January, where, where seemingly they know that they're now ready and going and going to stay in the Premier League. So now maybe they can kick on. Um, I think it's just a good te- I think they should just enjoy it. To be honest, I mean, they no one ever, ever would have seen them being in this position at this point, and whether it fizzles out or not, it's still going to be an unbelievably good season. Yeah. And I think they should enjoy testing themselves against the teams higher in the division who, to be honest, barring Liverpool, none of them have covered themselves in glory. So they should see it as an opportunity to go and take some more scalps, to be honest. I mean, their fans and their players would certainly enjoy a uh, European run. Jack, could you see European football being something of a of a hindrance next season? And I ask this only because they've got the third smallest squad in the Premier League in terms of players used. So unless they went out in the summer and kind of added quite a few new faces they could find themselves struggling with the sheer amount of games yes in theory I think you mentioned the squad size it's certainly going to affect them but I think optimistically I would I'd be hopeful they could cope because as Ben said they they can see this coming now they Mm. are safe they are already planning for for that phase I think uh the way that they are going to approach the the end of season, basically, obviously, still want to make make Europe. But I think should they get in, it will be a bonus. They're not banking on that, and if they do get in, they've got many weeks and a few months to um, anticipate how how that will work. I think um, they just seem to be really well run. They seem to 
planning for for the worst but expecting the best almost um so yeah i think it's um there's nothing to to fear in that sense like besides from the past about that that packed schedule and the um the sort of uh the thursday sunday uh, routine that has has hurt a lot of clubs in the past i think this is a team that if they if they were to achieve european football then they would just lower the expectations maybe in the premier league to yeah. That's Once dangerous again. though, isn't it? They, they just remind me a little bit of Ipswich. Do you remember when Ipswich came up and they had that season playing really good attacking football, like this huge breath of fresh air, and they get into Europe, beat into Milan, and it all goes like completely to shit. I mean, it happened to Burnley, I think, last season when they their season started in June, um, and it did affect them. But then they're not the same side in sort of in that I would argue that Sheffield United players maybe a more expansive, more sort of progressive style of football. Perhaps not that Burnley's is any less effective. Um, but they are quite similar in that they sort of got quite uh, low expectations of what they can achieve. Um, Burnley suffered quite a lot from having to start, start their season so early. You could see a scenario where Sheffield United might have something similar next season, say. But uh, as with Sean Dyche, I would back Chris Wilder to get themselves out of that. So perhaps it's a you go, you dial it back slightly in terms of sort of how expansive you want to be. You maybe go back to basics a bit more and just get and grind out results and as we've talked about in this studio a lot this season the quality of the Premier League isn't the highest anymore Mm -hmm. so I don't think there's much to fear from giving it a go in Europe because when you come back to playing in the in the Premier League on a Sunday I don't think there's a great deal to fear from those sides around you also we're being pessimistic because if Sheffield United finish above the likes of Man United and Spurs their season won't be starting that early yeah absolutely I think it's 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 nothing to fear in terms of the way he's managed that that squad so far, and it would just be another challenge. The, the way Sean Dyche has reset a little bit, he he gave it a go, um, endured a bit of a sticky patch, and then went back to basics. I think the way the fundamentals of of this team will will not go away, and it will just be about experimenting with with the next phase. And if things do go slightly wrong, then I think they can always revert to type. Um, the one thing I would be worried about maybe more so than European football is whether they can keep hold of like Dean Henderson I think it's not a, t- a team packed with star players but I think maybe he is fundamentally one of the top two or three players who is irreplaceable and if they can't arrange for another deal then I think he, he'd be tricky to replace even with another loan I'd say on that note I think the most irreplaceable figure is Wilder himself I think that would be the real test is if I don't know what club it would be and if a if a bigger quote unquote bigger club did come in for him and if he would want to leave his boyhood club at that point, um, it'd have to be a good offer, of course. I think that would be the real sort of that would be the thing you you are gonna have to game plan for and yeah. really worry about because as with the likes of Daish and other managers, the reason they are in this position, obviously they've got a club who understands top to bottom what they want to be and a lot of joined up thinking and they sort of they've made a lot of good decisions in a row. But the be all and end all and the sort of the catalyst of all of it has been Wilder himself and I think if they did lose him for whatever reason at some point that would be very very tough to replace okay good stuff so I said Sheffield United had the joint third uh, smaller squad in the Premier League in terms of players to use can you name the three clubs who have used fewer players I'm gonna say um, there's definitely two surprising ones I feel like Leicester might might yeah, be one I think Leicester, Brent- Leicester have only used 21 Okay, and two more. Any ideas, Ben? Uh, Villa, maybe. Nope. No, Villa have used quite a few. Uh, one, one is gettable. 
the the rock bottom one I find I find really surprising. This makes for great podcast material. It's yeah. just dead air. <laughs> Um, maybe maybe Wolves yes Wolves are bottom 20 players Burnley's okay. the other one Burn, Burnley to be expected actually now that I do know the answer I think Deitch Wolves surprised me Wolves yeah that is surprising given the options they have and the way they did try to pad that squad out last summer and some signings worked some notoriously didn't uh, Cutrone for example was uh, sent packing very quickly so yeah, um, yeah interesting yeah. M- moving on to Wolves obviously I suppose in many ways they've set the blueprint for what Sheffield United would like to achieve because they've got this smaller squad recently promoted made it into Europe in the first season and yet obviously they're still making it work yeah exactly that I think there's lots of parallels I think the the differences will be the like we talked about that star power mm. I think obviously that for um it's no secret they've had some assistance from uh in the transfer market um, and the, yeah, the likes of a Ruben Neves and Giamatino, they show their class week in and week out now. Um, you've seen that Diego Jota's back in the side now and he is a tremendous player earlier in the year. It was all about Raul Jimenez. I think the manager is outstanding. And it's, it's sort of similar to Sheffield United in that they are, that whole squad have been built around this system of Nuno's back three. They all know exactly what they're doing and each each position is um, they all know how to play their own their own roles within that wider system. Connor Cody is outstanding as that middle centre half in a three, whereas perhaps you wouldn't you wouldn't see him getting into many teams as a part of a two. But in that system, he's perfect. Matinho and Neves in the middle just run the show, and then you see like a wild card like Traore, who's just been given that freedom that he needed, as well as clearly having that sort of overall proper good coaching. Um, Wolves been excellent. I think, yeah, if they have the, used the... I mean, in theory, if you are sort of injury-free, you would rather use the least amount of players possible because that means you must be winning games and players must be in form and enjoying themselves. And so, yeah, if you can only get away with using 20, 21 players a season, I think every manager would would do that. Something you've spoken about on the podcast a few times before is how, you know, the, the balance of power in the Premier League you slowly shifting away from those top teams in, in, in regards to, you know, the mid-ranking teams being able to keep their best players in a way that, you know, a decade ago they couldn't do that. Um, I suppose Wolves are the perfect example of that, aren't they? They've got all these incredible players. Somebody like Nevis is 22, and yet they've been able to kind of keep hold of them all and, and build a team around them. Yeah, I mean, it was about a year ago that Pep Guardiola was asked about Nevis and if they'd be interested in him, and he said, yeah, of course he would be, but he'd cost £100 million, so mm. they can't do that. Um Clearly, they've had a fun, some financial assistance, and George Mendes's help is obviously always going to be very helpful indeed. But they've bought extremely well. Rio Patricio is an outstanding goalkeeper. Jimenez was a gamble when they bought him. It was like he'd never really sort of scored the goals consistently that you'd need from a proper number nine. He's kicked on and transformed himself. They really are sort of a prime example of yeah why would any of these players jump ship now they sort of seem primed to to kick on again clearly there are there's a glass ceiling to a degree of what they can achieve and what we've gone over several times over the last in previous weeks but with the premier league sort of in a state of flux where the traditional big six and the super clubs within it are somewhat struggling then someone like wolves um then why not yeah um, we're recording this on Wednesday on Thursday Wolves will play the second leg of their Europa League uh, round of 32 tie it looks like they're going to go through how far do you think they're going to go Rafa I mean when you actually look at the clubs involved 
I mean, obviously, Man United and Arsenal have got fairly good chances if they take it seriously. Inter Milan are playing very well, but could rest players because they're going for the league. And Sevilla always win the Europa League. But when you move past those teams, Wolves have got a pretty good shout. Yeah, I think I think they can win it. I don't don't see why not. I think you mentioned United and Arsenal, and I just think Wolves in a one-off game could could beat either of those sides. They might even be favourites, depending on the progress under Arteta at Arsenal. They might be favourites for that tie. I think the way they um, they get themselves up for the games at Molyneux, I mean, we've just seen how much like trouble they've they've offered um, the big teams uh, throughout the last year or so. Uh, you mentioned the the star players they have, but I think we mentioned Wilder and the importance he has. Nuno equally is vital to the way this team has evolved. Not just the star signings. You, you just look at like Matt Doherty on the on the on the right. The way he's just gradually adjusted his game to every level up. He's um, that's been put in front of him. Raúl Jiménez, we mentioned, is a star player now, but hopeless at Atletico Madrid, just couldn't cut it. And then, uh, well, we've seen a lot of strikers score plenty of goals in in Portugal, but he wasn't one of them. So the way they've um, they've used him as a bit of a project has been mightily impressive. And I think just the way they have just a bit a bit of versatility in that team, you you can use. Um, raw power and strength um, but they, they play nice stuff as well and I think that will work really nicely in, in Europe you mentioned um, Inter probably favourites uh, alongside United but yeah I think beyond those two teams I think I'd put them right there with Arsenal maybe got slightly more goals to their when they're on song I, I would say than Wolves and uh, Sevilla obviously pretty handy and then beyond that there's no one really to fear for um, uh, for Wolves uh, Ajax look like they, they could be going out I think Roma are very inconsistent. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen and, and Frankfurt, who have experience of uh, going far last season, um, knocked out by Chelsea. But I think, yeah, Wolves, very uh, shrewd shrewd bet, I think, for the Europa League this year. And it'll be a tournament they're targeting. While they do want top four, I think um, possibly Europa League might be uh, might be more reali- realistic once the um, we get close to the finish line and perhaps um, United or probably Chelsea because they're in the driving seat if they can just edge away mm. from the, the pack now that they're almost certainly out of the Champions League maybe then Wolves turn their attention to Thursday nights and focusing on that Just finally on Wolves um, they put out their annual accounts last week um, which showed that they had made a profit of 21.6 million uh, which is a year on from a loss of 55.1 it was obviously such a risky strategy to pump all that money in when they're a championship team and we've seen that strategy you know, backfire tremendously for other clubs. But I suppose in this case, Ben, it was, well, one, it was the right thing to do. And two, it looks like it's now given them a platform that they can kind of actually secure their position as a top half Premier League team. I mean, it was an incredibly risky strategy and they basically bet on themselves to go up and they knew the consequences if they didn't. Um, Clearly, it's not just about spending money as ever. So Man United spent an awful lot of money, but it's about buying good players so they had a strategy where they knew and obviously at at first it was yeah let's buy a lot of Portuguese players and whatever but they knew what they were buying and how they were going to buy them and where they were going to fit them in it was there was a plan the whole way so you in doing that you mitigate that risk that if you do spend loads of money at least you're going to get what you paid for Um, they were one of the great second tier sides you've ever seen they marched up that league and get they left nothing to chance I think if you look at the in comparison to this year with Leeds and West Brom, who've done it a slightly different way, um, Wolves 
didn't didn't even give a second thought to staying down. They knew they had to go up mm. when and what right then and there, and they have done. And with the sort of that, I mean, buying a buying a player from a, a Champions League <laughs> level captain and playing him in the Championship was always going to give you a chance. Um, but I mean, fair play to them. They took a risk and it paid off. And now um, they're reaping the rewards. Okay, we're going to a break. When we get back, we're going to talk about two teams having very different seasons. Third place, Leicester City, and 18th place, West Ham United. See you soon. (laughs) I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. This week we are talking about a few clubs uh, metaphorically outside the Premier League's Big Six. And it's about time that we spoke a little bit about Leicester City, who of course sit third in the table, behind only Liverpool and everybody's second club, Manchester City. Uh, We are recording this podcast on Wednesday and today marks one year to the day since Brendan Rodgers took over, since he walked out on Celtic to join Leicester. And uh, Ben, it couldn't have gone any better really. Yeah, a stunning year. Obviously, Leicester were hoping this is what they were getting when they um, hired Rodgers from Celtic. And certainly his time at Liverpool suggested that he had this sort of ceiling of a team capable of, in a normal year, challenging for the title and Champions League places. But it's gone almost better than you could ever expect it. He inherited a side that had a lot of talented players in it, but his effect on a lot of the players who are already there has been remarkable. Vardy is a new, an entirely new player. He's going through a bit of a scoring drought right now, but he is largely the reason, his goals are largely the reason why they are where they are. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's like, obviously he's always had a reputation with younger players and they've got so many younger players playing well, but when you look at Vardy and Johnny Evans, it's incredible yeah. the sort of transformations they've made. Yeah, outstanding. I mean, yeah, you look at the, the obvious people are like James Madison and Ricardo Pereira and Ben Chilwell. But yeah, the sort of the foundations of that side is that they keep clean sheets and they play solid football. Johnny Evans has been remarkable. I think if he'd stayed at Manchester United, he'd be club captain by now. I think he's a phenomenal player. And I think it's one of those where Kaila Siunku has played very, very well. But in many ways... Um, you could argue that he's looking good because he's got Johnny Evans next to him. Um, and he's been phenomenal. And yeah, Vardy's goals have got them into this position and then others have followed suit. Madison's been great. Um, it'll be interesting, I'm sure we'll go on to it, but it'll be interesting to see how they, in the same way as Sheffield United, how you sort of maintain and kick on from here. They appear to be have a strategy of you sell one player per summer, um, which is sort of a very forward-thinking, progressive attitude, knowing you can't possibly keep all of these players together at once so you accept that one of them goes 
the talk is that Madison's going to sign a new contract, which would suggest that maybe it's Chilwell who um, is the one who leaves this time. So, I mean, if you are, I mean, he's a very, very, very good left back. But if you are, if the only player you're going to lose from a squad as good as this is your left back, I think you'd take that. Um, and also, it gets a lot easier to keep players when you can offer them Champions League football. Well, precisely that. And so I think someone like Madison will take his chance. He's still young. He knows that that big, big move, if he continues to play as well as he is, will come eventually. Um, but someone like Yuri Tielemans has been outstanding. Wilfred Ndidi is a wonderful player. Ricardo Pereira, other than Trent Alexander-Arnold, might be the best right-back in the division. They've another, they're another club who've spent money but they've bought incredibly well they've did it the right way last summer where you go and buy the three players you want and then you sell the one you didn't want to rather than the other way around so you get good value for money um they're a very well very well run club and again much like the other two clubs we've talked about today they have capitalized on the traditional big six not performing anywhere near how they should do um and yeah all the power to them as you say off the pitch they've been fantastic um when they won the Premier League, they obviously went out and kind of bolstered their squad a little bit ahead of the Champions League run. And a, and a lot of those signings didn't work out. But if you look over the last two seasons, they signed Johnny Evans for 3.5 million, Ricardo Pereira, Madison for 25, so Unchu 19, Tillmans we think was around 40. I can't think of many other clubs in the world who have signed players, you know, as good as that, let, let alone the Premier League. Yeah, certainly very efficient in the market. I think it helps when you have a progressive thinking manager like Rogers. He will attract the um, the best talent or best young talent, shall we say, who maybe have trepidation about making the step up to like a um, a traditional top six club. They can now go to a club like Leicester and be guaranteed to have exposure to maybe Champions League football next season, certainly good minutes as well as playing in a, a style of football which will lead to great development so I think they're they're primed this summer to not only replace someone like Chilwell but add to that group I think they can they can add to their their core 11 11 to 12 13 players as well I think you look at someone like Iosi Perez youthful right now but I think he could um, develop into a bit more of a squad player they could upgrade there it's interesting to see how Rogers making a bit of a name of himself throughout his career as sort of um, just building that fearlessness in inside young players. Um, Raheem Sterling, probably the, the most uh, famous example, but maybe someone like Harvey Barnes. I mean, he, he looks tremendous. And if he can sort of um, follow in the footsteps of the way Madison has um, used that Leicester team as a platform to break into the England side, I think um, Barnes can certainly cut it at the top, top level now. And um, his progress has been rapid. So yeah, I just think um, the versatility as well under Rogers. He he thinks about the game. He has um, a number of systems which he um, he goes to. I mean, the back three at the moment is is looking good, but I think give him a chance in the market, and I think he will revert to uh, maybe four three three. So yeah, really exciting club. I think the way they um, they know what they are. They're they're happy to cash in when clubs come calling and pay two or three x what in-house they consider the value of one of their players and then once they they let one go it's uh yes yeah, close shop isn't it and uh, the others have to just bide their time and wait their turn Riyad Mahrez a, a good example the way he behaved maybe uh, some would say a bit poorly when he d- was denied his move they managed that in-house still got a bit more out of him in the years to come and then eventually did sell him so I think uh, they're well set up Rogers has obviously signed for the long term now and um 
yeah, very exciting. I think while the others sort of mess up and make mistakes, I think they're just going to keep capitalising. And while there's four places available for the, the Champions League, I think they're going to be knocking on the door again next season, despite more expectations. I wanted to come on to the market, actually, because as we mentioned in the first half of the pod, they, have, they haven't used that many players in the league. And also, if we are going to be a little bit critical, they have they have towered off in recent weeks. They've picked up 12 points from their, their past 11 games. They've slipped well behind City. They crashed out the cup. Um, so are we expecting them to be active in the market? And do we think they need to be active in the market to, to push on and to perform in the Champions League as well as the Premier League? I think no team should really sit on their laurels and you should try and, I mean, if they've got Champions League football to promise to a new player, then you should definitely use that. Mm. I think the... That's where clubs come unstuck a lot of the time though, isn't it? A it little bit. Be when you get to and that it certainly point. was last time. They sort of bought a, a handful of players who weren't really what you'd expect. Or didn't, they didn't get out of them what you'd expect. I don't foresee that happening again. It would appear that Rodgers has got a very sort of specific idea for the players he buys and you can see how they fit in. They knew that when they were signing Soyuncu, they were going to sell Maguire and it was just going to be a seamless swap. Um, I think in recent weeks, the tail-off in form, I think you can directly correlate with Vardy's dropout of, of not scoring as many goals. I think if you can get him scoring again, I don't see the sort of the season fizzling out as we talked about with other teams. Uh, and in the summer, yeah, you need to use the opportunity. They are a team who, with the backing they have, have always been able to spend spend money and they've tended to spend it well. I think they understand the value of of buying, a, buying the player rather than getting a good deal, which is... Um, not always the case in lots of teams um, higher up in the pyramid, say, but a player like Tielemans, who they knew they had him on loan for six months, they knew he fit exactly what Rogers wanted. 40 millions on the top end of what Leicester shouldn't, would, and would want to spend on a player, but they knew the value of getting the player in early in the window. He fit exactly what they wanted and they paid the money. And you'd much rather have the player and 5 million, 10 million less than you wanted than having all the money in the bank and not that player. And they've sort of, they clearly, they understand that. Um, I would imagine they'll have, they'll already have lots of targets in place. What about Big Islam Slamani? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that, didn't, that didn't quite go how they wanted it to go. But um, but the season he's had, I mean, you can either flog him and, and get a much better price than you would have got last season or he could come in and do a job. Well, that's true. Um, it will be interesting. I do think you need to, I mean, like we said, the sort of interesting thing with Rogers' arrival has been the sort of revival of Vardy. Um, and maybe the one criticism of Leicester is that they do, for all of the new players they've got, the new style, the sort of the pace they play with, they do still appear to live or die on Vardy's goals. So they do need to be looking at the transition period of the life after Vardy, I think, if you can go and find a striker. That said, I mean, Iheanacho looked to be one of the, maybe the sort of the missteps of late, in recent seasons, but over the last sort of month, six weeks, he appears to have sort of turned a corner to a degree to, and he looks a bit more like the player that he did in flashes at City. Um, I don't think he's the long-term sort of heir to Vardy's throne, but um, he's certainly a sort of more of a usable option than he has been. I think, yeah, they would look they would look up top, I think, to find, obviously it's the hardest position in the world to find, and there's going to be lots of other teams who are also looking for strikers at the same time. But their recruitment has been outstanding on the whole, and I would back them to, yeah, find a new striker at some point. Okay, there's just enough time to pack in some misery before the end of the podcast. Uh, we're going to do a relegation battle-themed episode very soon, uh, but I wanted to ask a couple of quick questions on West Ham because at the start of the season, so many people thought that we would be talking about them like we're talking about these teams, Jack. Yes, yeah, certainly. I think West Ham, 
the way they they set their stall out at the start of the season, they spent a lot of money, namely like over forty million on Allaire. I think um, the way it's panned out, it's been nothing short of a disaster. Uh, the opposite of uh, Sheffield United in terms of like the sum of their parts equaling much less. I think uh, the way David Moyes has come in, I think he's he's found a squad which certainly doesn't suit his needs. So it's a real uh, dilemma. I think the way they hired Moyes in a in a sign of desperation, but the squad isn't really the, there to suit his sort of results first mentality. And the run they're on at the moment is it's a disastrous run, and they could really be right down there and uh, come another month and they could be gone which is it seems unthinkable but that's the that's their current predicament were there any signs against Liverpool that you know there might be a bit of fight I, di- I didn't watch the game so it might be an absolutely shit question but they showed something they sh- they they were better against Liverpool than an awful lot of teams have been this season whether that's because Liverpool showed a bit of complacency perhaps in the fact that they know it's already won and they know it was only West Ham and they know that the well-publicised statistics of David Moyes' record away at major clubs is absolutely appalling. I quite like Moyes as a, as a guy and as a manager. I think he's got something to offer. But it, he he came in saying he was a winner and that's what he's going to do and he, he simply hasn't. Um, I don't think in any way it's all his fault. I think, as we've discussed before, there are far more problems at West Ham than the manager and the players, as we've all discussed um, the squad itself is just, it's like two halves of the same team. It's like you've got um, Alair and Yarmolenko and Felipe Anderson and Manuel Lanzini. And then you've also got Mark Noble and Aaron Cresswell and Declan Rice. It sort of doesn't, none of it fits together. Um, and they're certainly not alone in that, but that that's difficult. You could, you could understand why David Moyes was looking for a Joe Allen on players like that in January because he wants a few more grafters um, to try and get them out of the trouble they're in. Um like we mentioned, like Jack mentioned, the run they're on and the run of fixtures they've got to come is dreadful. It makes a game this weekend against Southampton, which Southampton one of the form teams in the division. It makes it absolutely must win. They should have beaten Brighton, I think, three weeks ago and completely threw away a three-one there. And they've now obviously got rid of the Man City Liverpool games, which were just t- tossed those away. But they've still got Chelsea, Arsenal, and Wolves, and Tottenham in the next month or so. So while I don't expect any team to get cut adrift, given the sort of the overall poor quality of the league at that end, they are leaving themselves plenty to do. And um, as the crowd has shown before, they aren't the most patient, and nor should they be, given the standard of football they've been sh- they've been uh, shown over the last decade. Um, it's, the last thing you need in a relegation battle is the crowd against you as well. It feels like the mood is kind of decisively shifted these past few yeah, years. Yeah, it's I mean it's not great, is it? You had it, there's the protests against the board, which have been a long time coming. And I'm not gonna sit here and say that they aren't at all warranted either. Um maybe I mean they, they obviously they, going down would be an absolute disaster because they've for example I mean Jared Bowen was twenty million pounds and he's barely played yet. Um there's so much money sunk into very long term contracts there you'd ho- you'd hope they've got relegation clauses in their contracts to make them so they can actually sell some of these players. But, I mean, they're being all sorts. That wage bill will be one of the top. I mean, I've got it to hand. I'd say it's probably top eight in the division. And they're 18th. It's a, it'd be a, I mean, relegation's a bad thing for any club, clearly. For West Ham, it'd be dreadful. On that note, though, so Tony Evans wrote for us, was it at the beginning of the month? Recently, anyway, about the kind of, 
you know, the problems at West Ham and how they've had their identity stripped away. He had a really interesting line that jumped out where he said that essentially the damage being done to the club by Sullivan and Gold right at this moment and, and over the past few months and years is worse than the fear of relegation at this point. Uh, I mean, it's a strong statement and, it you know, it met with quite a kind of divided reaction. But do you see where he's coming yeah, from? Yeah, I'd, I'd concur. I think it's, it's toxic, isn't it? Uh, the way the fans are totally disillusioned with the way their club is being run at the moment. There's, the sad thing is, it's a it's a club with enormous potential. You think they, um, if they just capitalise on their location, uh, they can certainly they try, didn't they? They have tried. I mean, may have they've spent money as well. <laughs> I mean, may have, they have money to spend. They've spent forty plus million on Allaire, Felipe Anderson, same similar sort of price. For Nows, twenty five million. Bowen, twenty million. I mean, they, they'd be the envy of almost every club, bar maybe four or five in, in the league. So, I mean, they arguably spent more than, than Arsenal over the last few years as well. I just think, um, that, like Ben said, I think all clubs would be broken by relegation uh, or devastated, but the way that they would like fall to pieces, I think it would be a real problem for them to, to come back and... I think it would be a really messy summer with uh, a lot of players desperate to leave because they're just not. This is not what they've signed up for. And um, while David Moyes has got a very talented squad, I think he's he's gradually sort of pinpointing a couple of players to sort of get them out of this in a short term basis. Um, you look at Antonio on Monday night; was he is somebody that can scrap and he, he can fight. Mark Noble obviously knows what it takes, and then I think they just need to build on that block in front of Fabianski. Um, Diop and Ogbonna is, is pretty solid and Declan Rice as well. If they just build around that as a foundation, I think when they come out the other side at uh, the start of April, games where they should be winning or they, they have a much better chance of winning, that's when it's going to be crunch time and they've got to perform. And I mean, y- they've put their bet on David Moyes. I mean, it's not it's not a sure thing by any stretch, but I think they've got a month to get things right because they won't, they won't be cut adrift and then it's it's up to them to, to hit the ground in that last uh, final stretch and otherwise it is pure disaster. Yeah, because the irony is they're not going to struggle to shift any of these players, are they? I mean, Diop's been linked with just about everybody. Declan Rice will go. I guess that's true to a degree, but I'm not sure how many clubs would be willing to pay top dollar for Felipe Anderson saying give him the contract that West Ham gave him two years ago, whatever it was. Ditto, Andrei Yarmolenko or Lanzini or these various players. It's It's... It's not that they're bad players. It's that they are paid an awful lot, an awful large amount, which is going to make them. I mean, Bowen would go tomorrow. That's an easy sale. It's harder to go and get someone to pay what the forty-five million you pay for Alaire. You're not getting. You're not getting that back. Um, I can understand the sympathies from somewhere. Oh, maybe relegate. Like maybe relegation could sort everything out because you could strip it all back and almost start again. Um, but with these people in charge, I mean that's well, that's true, and it's also it's it's, it's a fallacy. The championship is a it's a remarkably difficult division to get out of. And you look at the teams down there now. Leeds have got one of the best managers of, of his generation, and he's struggling to get hit them them out of it. Um, it's incredibly difficult to do. And although maybe you'd think, okay, right, we can sort of reset, and that it wouldn't be the worst thing to spend one year out of the Premier League, given the colossal amount of money that is now swimming around the top division, you can't be out of that for one year. Um, and a team like West Ham with the expectations that they should rightly have and the, like Jack said, the opportunity that and the sort of platform that they've squandered, they can't not be in the Premier League. Okay, good stuff. I think we managed to navigate that politically enough that we won't have to issue an on-air apology. 
<laughs> feels <laughs> feels like we did okay. Uh, okay, there's just enough time left for hero and villain of the week. Uh, who's been villain, Jack? I'll do villain. I think uh, Bartomeu, president of um, Barcelona. I mean, the definition of a villain, I mean, heckled and whistled at the, the new camp. I don't think there's many more intimidating experiences in, in world football. He is persona non grata. I mean, some really cutting words from Gerard Piquet. And it's going to be Lionel Messi with a little help from Griezmann to paper over the cracks. And I think... Um, I think the damage has been done in terms of the scandal which surrounds him and I think um, this is a, a club with some of the most passionate fans in the world and he is um, the most uh, vilified man in uh, in Catalonia at the moment. They really weren't very good last night either. No, no, I think uh, almost predictable, uh, a staggering uh, stat that it was uh, Griezmann, the first goal by a Barcelona player not named Lionel Messi since... 2015 with uh, Neymar in a knockout stage away from home so yeah um, Napoli even though they they did let them back into the game after Merton's goal for a 1-1 I think certainly that tie is not dead and tougher tests uh, await um, Barcelona and they just continue to punch below their weight uh, given the, the resources they have. Okay uh, for Hero I'm going for Tyson Fury I know it's not football but uh, we we're talking in the office about the most sort of stunning or shocking things we've seen in sport. And for me, that was probably... Well, talking to you about it, Ben? Yeah, probably yeah, the most yeah. shocking thing I've seen in sport since uh, Germany beating Brazil, I reckon. Yeah, a remarkable result. And um, There's not many... I can't think... Is there another massive football one? I suppose the comeback... Um, Barcelona, Barcelona against Liverpool PSG. last year was stunning, but in a sort of... In a different way, in sort of... In less than a narrative terms, this is an actual fairy tale story yeah. to sort of come back from where you came back from. Um, yeah, a, a stunner, the least sort of likely. This isn't a boxing podcast, but basically the, the least likely of the four possible outcomes of the fight, and it came true. And from the sort of moment the first bell rang, everyone knew it was coming, and it's still as stunning to see. We need to get Bunce. Imagine Bunce and Tony Evans on the same podcast. My word, <laughs> my, my word. <laughs> yeah, little teaser. <laughs> on that note, uh, thank you. Sadly, that's all we got time for this week. Uh, be sure to follow Indie Football on social media. Keep up to date with everything that's going on. If you're a new listener, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.